Hey everyone, welcome to She Brigade the Podcast. I'm your host, Bilun Lumsemech. On each episode, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come share with you their life and career journeys, from entrepreneurs to nine to fivers and everyone in between. Our guests go through all of the highs and all the lows of this life journey that have brought them to being who they are today. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of the season for She Brigade. I'm so excited, right? And today I have someone on the show who, like we've been trying to schedule time. <laughs> this was supposed to happen last year um, for the first season, but I think you guys will understand why we didn't, why we couldn't find the time because she's like, like I actually, I'm actually obsessed with you. I don't think I told you this. I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> I've been following you. First, I first found out about you via Suitable Diaries. Oh. That's when I was following you. So it's been a, bunch, a couple of years, actually, that I've been following you and your journey. And then Shashrikini came into play, and I was like, oh, okay. And then Jiki Jiki, I actually thought that Shashrikini was alive for like, like 10 years or something, because I feel like, I mean, we'll talk about it. I feel like it just exploded. And I know there's a lot of hard work that goes into mm-hmm. things like that. We always see the overnight success, but like, I feel like it was like, wow. wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so we have today Mapito Taisi. And Mapito is the founder of blog Suitable Diaries, where she documents her travels, she documents her life journey, pretty much. And travel is a big part of your, of your, of your life, actually. Um, she's also the founder of Shashekini, which was founded in 2017. If you don't know about it, honestly, I, I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> Just Google it, because, like, she was on top billing. Um, yeah, so, my pizza, but, like, I think also what amazes me about your journey is that, and this I didn't know until recently, you're actually an occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just last year, you completed your master's of, master, I don't know if I'm saying this, right, master of philosophy and human rights law. Correct. Yeah. You went from occupational therapy to law, you're also an entrepreneur, like, girl, obesity. <laughs> Okay, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, my pizza. Thank you so much for having me. Like, I'm so excited. I was so excited this morning to get here because I was like, yay! (laughs) Finally, we get to do this. Like, Like, I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. So, like, there's genuinely so much to you. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Straight from the beginning. I know you're a Lesotho girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Start, take us all the way back. Where did you begin? Where did you come from? Your schooling, your upbringing, everything. Sure. Um, so I, I was born in South Africa. So the story about me is that both my parents are from Lesotho. Okay. Um, so they got married, met each other, went to school in Lesotho. And it only was when my dad started working and then he moved to Valcom and that's where he stayed. Oh. Um, and then when I was about to be born, my mom was visiting her sister in the free state. And then I, I was born in the free state. And then we obviously moved back because we were living in Lesotho. So I spent about six years of my life in Lesotho. Okay. Lesotho is a very rural area. At the time, we didn't have access to, like, running water, electricity. Like, we didn't have everything you have. Mm. Like, for us, every time we went to my dad's house in Valcom, it was like, whoa, you've got running water, you've got <laughs> lights. It was like, 
it was like Gauteng to us. We, yeah. we actually called it Gauteng. We didn't know that it was an <laughs> even bigger Joburg. Um, but for us, it was the city of gold because at the time, Valcom was rife with mining and um, there was lights. It was big. It was happening. So it was like, you know, I was, I was always exposed to, okay, the more humble life and then switch back to Valcom. Then it's like this you know, mm. upper city life. And, um, but what I enjoyed about my time in Lesotho was the, how calm everybody was, if it was down to earth. I didn't um, ever feel like we were poor or whatever. We weren't poor. It was just like the circumstances we lived in. Yeah. And they force you to become creative with what you do. Um, like, for example, we had like a very big garden and my mom used to like, plant and stuff so we we were never really without we had everything we needed mm. and we had a jojo when it rained so you could get water from there and it was really nice and as a kid I learned a lot I learned how to be creative yeah. how to think out of the box mm. I learned a lot of um a lot about humility Ubuntu um you know if our neighbors didn't have anything they would always come to us if we didn't have anything we'd always go to our neighbors mm. so it was like and if maybe my mom had left us with the neighbor we were fine there was never this thing of oh my gosh um you know a child got raped there or whatever there mm. were no there, there were none of those stories because everybody had a responsibility in the mm. community everyone like was like a family the community it was actually a family. a family yeah yeah it oh. still is even today yeah like when i it's funny when i go back and some of the people have seen me on top they were like that was you that was you and i'm like <laughs> Because now, like, the electricity over the years um, oh. was inserted in Lesotho, and um, there's been a bit of upgrade since yeah. I was a child. So, And it's it's fascinating how much everybody still remembers me um, from back in the day, and then they see me on TV, and they're like, that's exactly who she is. Yeah, that's, yeah so-and-so. So it's so cool. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know any better. I was like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So... Okay, so where, where did you go? You went to school here in South Africa in, in yeah. Valcom. Yeah, so I moved to Valcom like full-time when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. But then I, w I had done like a year of grade one back in Lesotho, but because the schooling systems were different, then I had to go back to grade one and start over. Mm. I was a little bit annoyed, but my dad was like, no, listen, it's fine. You'll do, you're going to need, you're going to thank this um, opportunity later in life. Anyway, I was still within my age. I just went to school a little bit earlier. Oh. Um, so when I got into grade one again in South Africa, I was still pretty much within my age group. And yeah, so okay. that didn't really set me back. And, it, at, and at what point, it's like obviously you went to school, you went through everything. At what, like, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Let's start there. I really didn't know what I wanted to be, to be honest. Um, I think I started thinking about what I wanted to become around about in grade three. I thought, oh, okay, cool, I want to become a teacher. I think everything that I wanted to become always stemmed from a place of caring for people mm. that I knew I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be a teacher, and then in grade five, I changed. I was like, oh, maybe not a teacher, maybe a doctor. I'm not sure. I'm not very sad. I always knew I, I wasn't complete. I, I wasn't... I was smart, but mm. not very scientifically. Like, mm. I wasn't very technical. I was more of a creative, smart person. Um, and then in grade eight, I think when I went into high school, that's when I started learning, researching, going to the library, learning about psychology. I think 
uh, at that point, I wanted to become a psychologist. Okay. And I was very, very cutthroat with being a psychologist <laughs> because I was like, yay, now here's a profession, not very highly medical, mm. where you have to like cut through people's bodies and all of that, but it's more hum- hum- humane and it's got humility. You're caring for people, you're helping people mm. unravel their problems. And I feel like I'm that kind of person, very patient. Um, and then I can't remember thinking trick or a friend of mine t- um, just talked me out of it. She's like, yeah, well, you just want to be a psychologist because you want to, like, hear people's stories. And I was like, that's not true. And then I completely, like, I was, like, over-psychology. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. But anyway, I've always been somebody who seeked a bit of a, um, a career that was not just one way. Mm. Like with psychology, you just deal with mental health issues. Like that's counseling. And that that was my idea of it at the time. And then soon towards like matric, I think grade 11, somewhere there, I really, it was by chance when I looked at the University of Pretoria perspectives, I looked at what an occupational therapist was. And for the first time in my life, I was like, yep, that's, that's what the I want to do. That's the because one. I was like, wow, it doesn't only just deal with mental health issues, but then there's a whole physical, like it was like a jack of all trades in the medical fraternity. So, so what is occupational therapy for those who don't know? So occupational therapy is like, um, it's like a science of occupation so we help people rehabilitate back into life mm. so we work with um, people across the lifespan children so in children we'd work with children with like developmental delays children with your cerebral palsy um, we're teaching people independence so we will teach a child how for, for example a child with um, autism in school they can't adjust to the schooling curriculum so we will come in and really assist the the child um, help them with like the basics so that when they do get back to school at least they can start to catch up Mm. a child that struggles to crawl we go in and we do different movements in Mm. in interventions and then to help the child to eventually start walking and all of that Um, we assist do wheelchair assistance to help people adapt and maneuver the environments on wheelchairs we work with adults with like strokes somebody who's had a stroke oftentimes they will be seen by an occupational therapist um and then in the mental health people with depression and schizophrenia and all of that because a lot of times people when they have mental health issues their functionality is is kind of interrupted Mm. so a person will struggle to do basic things like getting up and washing yourself is now a problem so that's where an occupational therapist will come in and now help you go back to sort of where you are and just help retrain you back into function slowly but surely back into like doing the bare minimum like just washing yourself preparing a meal it, it requires a lot of cognitive physical mm. emotional mental it requires it encompasses so that's what i like about occupational it's therapy like the full it takes on the everything. whole holistic human approach mm. into consideration it's not just okay, cool, I'm a doctor, I'm going to fix you, you've got a flu, here's some medicine. That's physical. That's physical. Yeah. You know, like, and, and I mean, our, a lot of our colleagues, we all specialized in different areas. Like, for example, if you've got an earring problem, the audiologist will give you AIDS, but then the occupational therapist would be the person that actually helps you take, take you from where you were, the dysfunction, to a more functional okay. point. Um, so that's why I'm saying it, it works with people across the, the lifespan and... Yeah, and I've, I found myself in occupational therapy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, like, did you enjoy studying it? Hmm. 
yeah, now this is, <laughs> I enjoyed the theory behind it. I think when I started practicing, then I was like, uh, I'm not really sure if I want to work in the hospital, for example. Like after varsity? Uh, I think during varsity, oh. as I became away, I think that's where I was like in second year, I really didn't want to do it anymore. Because it, it takes on a lot of emotional toll on you. Like, mm. in occupation, like a, for the first time, I had like an identity crisis in second year because all of these courses, as you're learning, you, you don't realize that you are learning, but it, you're also growing. Anybody that's gone through the occupational therapy program can tell you, a lot of people tend to joke with us in med school to say, what do you guys really do? What is it that you do? And it, because the, the module is so complex it, and the thinking is so different and it just really takes a lot. And I've also become a clinical educator at VITS last year. Mm. And I could see for the first time how I was supervising third year occupational therapy students, how oh my gosh, exactly what they were going through in third year, because that's like the, the worst year for us, um, is the same thing that I experienced, you know, because it really, really, you have to dig deeper into yourself. Mm, to you, become, you're learning always you're learning, about yourself exactly. based on what you're learning. Yeah, mm. so it's, it's more, it's, the occupational therapy journey is about learning about you. Some people hit depression mm. while we were stuck. I'm studying, you know, um, I literally almost was at a like breaking point as well in, in my career as an, as an occupational therapy student. And, and you, when you get out of it, you realize that, wow, you've really had to go through your own self-development in this course, go back and find yourself because you start learning about depression, you start diagnosing yourself, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, am I depressed? Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. It makes sense though, because like, if you're going to help people get through these issues, you kind of need to start at home. Mm. Like, I can't imagine some, like someone basically trying to help me, but they've never really, not that they haven't done the work on themselves, but like you need to start at home. You know what I mean? So you, it makes sense that that you'd go through all of this. And then when you start um, practicing, then yeah. Yeah. No, our degree really does that to us. Yeah. Um, Okay. So then you started working. Yeah, so um, I think in second year, that's when I realized that I actually wanted to switch to law in second year already because I was okay. more fascinated yeah. with the... Because when, when you're doing any medical course, they will always bring in the policies, the laws and regulations that go with it. And mm. I always found more the advocacy part of occupational therapy very intriguing, like the ones where we have to fight for people with disabilities and stuff. So I loved that. Um, And then I couldn't switch because I was on a bursary and my bursary was paying more specifically for occupational therapy and not law. And then one of my professors told me that his daughter did the occupational therapy program and then she went on to doing law after that. And Mm. he was like, actually, you know, do occupational therapy finish because it gives you a very good... Um, insights into the health, into the social, into the community aspect. So you, when you graduate, you graduate with a bit more knowledge of knowing not just the medical, but you know so many more mm, things. Mm. And then when you go to law, then you know from which of those issues that you learned in occupational therapy you want to tackle. So I was like, okay, cool, now that's great. I'll stay, I'll stick, you know. Um, and I think throughout my career is I've always identified people that did things that were within my line, you know, uh, 
line of interest. So I've, I've always followed those paths of how they got there as well. Mm. Um, and then when I started working in 2015, I was working in the free state. So I lived at home. And there was an incident that happened where one day in the clinic, there was a, a group of learners that came in with problems and they needed to be assessed and intervened on and I just really helped felt so hopeless because these kids are coming in they need help and then I was like oh shucks I'm on a contract and I started asking myself like okay fine I don't mind helping them today but my concern was who's going to continue with the services when Mm. I leave and that's that prompted me to enrolling for a master's degree to go and learn about policies and you know how schools actually help learners and that was my research Hmm. okay and so when you enrolled for your master's you were still working though so you did your master's while you were working yeah so then I enrolled for the master's in 2015 at the end of 2015 I was accepted for two master's programs so I had applied for public um, health looking at human rights and economics and all of that in healthcare. And then I applied for human rights law um, at the law faculty. So I got accepted for both, but then I had to choose which one. Then I just went for the law Mm. masters because I just felt like, okay, cool. I've always wanted to do this, you know, born on human rights day. Maybe there's a significance that I want to learn more about this part of myself and make a difference with it. Um, And then I had a job in Caltonville at a mine where I was working as an occupational therapist. I talk a lot about this on my latest blog post. Um, so I worked at the mine and then uh, halfway through into the month of Jan, I was just like, oh, I, I don't like this area. I love the work, but I, I don't like this area. And also UCT was telling me things like I can't do my master's over correspondence because I would have loved to still kept my job but then maybe fly to Cape Town Mm. once in a while for classes but that was mm, I I couldn't do it with this program I had to be physically present Um, we had lectures every week and you had to be in the lectures Mm. so so then I had to leave I had to like just um, pack your bags pack my bags and off I went to Cape Town yeah so okay so I want to I want to understand at which point um, during this whole process, Shashwekini came into the play because I feel like it, it definitely came through during mm-hmm. during applying for your master's or, or doing your master's while mm-hmm. you were working. Yeah, mm-hmm. so at what point did that spark come through? It's like, I need to start something. So at the end of 2015, I went on a trip to Thailand with my friend and for the first time I bought like a bikini online and, you know, I was just like, oh, okay, cool, let me buy a bikini, whatever. Um, and, and I've always had this thing about swimwear. Like, it didn't come to me as an, oh, yes, I'm, I'm planning on doing a bikini line. It was never in my biggest mind frame something I wanted to do. In mm. fact, after, like, graduating or whatever, my intentions were to start my own occupational therapy practice, looking at medical legal cases. That was what I wanted to do with my life. Okay. I still want to do that, but um, that was my main focus. Then I started working for an insurance company in Cape Town. So that's where the full-time working, full-time masters came in. And I think as I was working, I was really enjoying the challenge. But then both areas, the academic and the working environment, I found were very technical and very straightforward. 
Um, well, the academic was more interesting, um, you know, with academia, mm. I love it. More freedom, a bit more freedom, a bit more creativity with what you can do in the course. But the corporate life was a little bit more stricter and I really didn't like that whole nine to five, n- not enough freedom. Mm. So then I was like, okay, cool. Let me just look what I want to do. So then I went back to that idea. I remember when I bought that bikini, I had lost a bit of weight and then I put it on and it didn't fit me well enough. Although it, I lo- I've always loved bikinis that were bright colors and very, a little bit African. I tried to look for bikinis online that had a bit of African sim- symbolism here and there, but then I couldn't find anything. And then after that, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm done buying swimwear online. I, I just rebelled against buying swimwear <laughs> because I was like, it's either they don't fit well yeah. or they don't have African print and that's what I was looking for. And then there was an Instagram post one day that I came across and it was this kentakini, like kenta bikinis. And I was like, what? That's amazing. Like that is absolutely what I've been looking for for myself Mm. and then I remembered I had done my own mind map with all the ideas that I wanted to do everything I wanted to do from a travel blog to a traveler company so I wrote down all my ideas on a mind map like this is what I want to do in the travel field this is what I want to do in the medical field this is what I want to do in the social so I like categorized all my ideas into different categories and then in fashion there was this thing that I wrote there and I remember it was like a swimwear line African swimwear so the idea of creating an African swimwear was there before I even saw this other African Kenta bikinis mm. on Instagram. And I was like, whoa, okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Fine. Um, I can still do it if I want to do a swimwear line, but I just don't want it to be... Like, I, can't, I don't want to buy swimwear from China. Like, yeah, everybody's yeah. doing that. And you're reselling or then whatever. Then you're reselling, yeah. name it under a different brand. I was like come on, like, um, if I'm going to stand out in this game, my idea wasn't to stand out, but I was like, that's not authentic. That's not true to who I am. Mm. But if I wear swimwear to, from this day onwards, it's got to be something that's uniquely South African and something that speaks to African culture. And then I thought, okay, cool, I can replicate, but those guys already asked, like, but no, that idea is already taken as well. And then I had to dig deeper into myself in terms of, what makes me unique? Like, if I were to bring in a swimmer idea, how would it, how would it set itself apart from the rest? And that's when I revisited my culture and thought what we do in the Basutu culture, and I was like, shui shui is the patterns that we use. Mm. And then that's when shui shui sparked. I was like, yes. That w- it happened around 2016. So uh, this idea came about in 2016. Obviously, it was after July, and then I was like, okay, cool, Shushukin, and I was getting excited, but then I was humbled by the amount of work I had to do, because it was like master's, um, I was finishing off my two courses, exams, <laughs> and all of that, I was like, oh, whatever. no, it's a lot, <laughs> I can't think about that now, anyway, so I was like, okay, cool, once I was done with exams, and all of that, and submitted my work, and um, my courses, I was done with coursework for master's, I was like, cool, now I'm ready. And then I literally drove, took my car, drove around Cape Town looking for manufacturers. Um, I did a little bit of um, Google searches. So I I wrote down the places I wanted to go. So 
I, I drove to all the different spots and then from there they gave me contacts of this lady who was working for herself mm. and then um, I only met with her early Jan 2017 so yeah sure okay yeah okay <laughs> and then like okay when did you now okay now now you know you're ready to get started and you're about to do this thing mm. Tell me about that journey and actually getting started and yeah. how you thought, how were you going to distribute it? Because there's mm. so much to think about. I think, I think um, I'm always empowered. Like after, because now at the end of 2016, although I hadn't, my research study, the plan was to finish my master's by 2016, but then uh, my research study was still lingering. Mm. So, but then by removing the coursework, I felt, okay, I've got more time yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I sat down with this lady. I, I talked to her about the idea and I was like, do you think this is something we can do? She's like, yeah, I've never seen this before. Um, like, okay, that's great. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I had my first sample in March, April. That's when the first Shishikini came out, like March, yeah. Um, I had my first sample, two pieces. And I was like, okay, cool. I was really nervous, to be honest, because A, I don't have background in fashion. Mm. Never started a business before. Um, I've literally never, ever... The only thing that I remember doing was selling cupcakes at work to raise funds for Miss Earth charities. So that's all I did. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know where to even begin. Um, But then I launched in May because my friends were like well, girl, you've got a great idea. Already, from like the sample came through and you're like, I'm ready to go. I was like, I'm ready to go. Because I think also when I first thought of the idea, I was really scared because I thought, shucks, what if some of the other designers have already hopped onto this? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There, was, there was this thing of, I was stuck between, oh my God, you have to run for gold, you have to release this. Because if you don't, somebody else might come up with the same idea. So mm. you need to like be ahead of them. And I was also stuck between, but do I really, can I really do this? Like, but then I was like, hell yeah, to get to a sample means that you've gone from initiation phase to execution phase. And yeah, I like could, it's there. You it's actually there. executed this thing that lived in your mind. For the longest of time. Mm. And I was like, so much I had my first samples. Um, then I waited, then I think by May, I had three, four more styles by May. And when I released it the day, I think it was the 31st of May, because I had a photo shoot in between. There were some of my friends that were my models. And when I released it, I think I had one, two, probably like plus minus five styles already in that range. And yeah, I put it up on Facebook and it just blew up from there and i remember dj fresh was one of the people on twitter that were like oh my oh gosh, my goodness this is amazing and i'm just the whole time i'm at work and i'm like omg oh my god i was like <laughs> i saw like my life change in that moment and i was scared i didn't have like a fancy hey i've started this come to my launch yeah i would have loved to have that but you know, I always say you got to start where you, mm. you, you've you got to. Those things will come. You just have to start with what you have. Mm. Yeah. And then, so for for the longest of time, to answer your question, it, distribution was through social media. Um, I, immediately when I started, I also reached out to a designer called Tabo Macheta. 
mm. who became my mentor. So it was really nice to have somebody who was more experienced in the in the fashion space and to also learn from her journey. And she was keen to take me on because I think for her, what um, struck her was that, oh, okay, cool. You, you're not like in ideation phase. You like, yeah. ex- you've executed this, but now you need a way of how you distribute it. So it was like sitting down with her, coming up with a, and a, fee- a feasible pricing model, um, thinking about my costs and all of those things that I had to like bootstrap. Yeah. Mm, and that's the thing with mentorship. Someone once said, was saying to me that, you know, when you're going to go look for a mentor, like they, like it is a mentorship. They you want to learn from people, but they also want to learn from you. Mm. So it's very, you can't just go there and be like, hi, I want a mentor, but for what? Yeah. Type of thing. So like, that, that's probably, like you're saying, that's why she was probably more keen to yeah. help you because it was like, you know what? She's serious about mm. this. She's actually done her homework. She's put in the work. Now let's just scale it and make it bigger than it yeah. could ever. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I like to ask my guests, what are some of your highlights, the highlights of your journey? Wow. Highlights of my journey. I think the highlights of my journey has just seeing the growth in Trisha Kini, like, also for me, from f- from my perspective, not giving up, mm. but literally always pushing. That That's why when you said, when you saw it, you thought it had been alive for 10 years. Mm. I'm like, whoa, that's <laughs> hectic. Um, and I think it's just how we jump to success from day one. Um, I, I don't think we are um, where I can fully say, yes, you know, I'm su- uh, like, it's been a success. But in terms of just having an idea and executing it without background in that field and to probably be one of the most celebrated young brands in the country. Mm. I think that for me has always been so successful because even today when you say that, I was actually reflecting the other day that, you know, it's so weird how when I'm even at exhibitions, people will look at Shishikini and I won't even say I'm the brand, the founder. It's just, it's got, it's, it now has its own voice. Like, I don't have to even speak for the brand um, because it, it, people can look at it and literally catch it yeah. and know what it's about without even me having to explain more about it, especially for people who are aware about of the Shushi prints and of South African culture, culture yeah. in general. People really resonate with it. Mm. And that, for me, has been really successful because you know when the brand speaks for itself then you've succeeded yeah you've like you're done like yeah. mm, now it's just to make it even bigger and what are some of the low lights um i think the lows have definitely been um seeing the lack of funding hmm. not that there's lack of funding but now you know as i'm becoming more more and more educated about the different means of funding a business and all of that but I think last year and the the previous years while I was still like racing through my masters and all of that I didn't really have a lot of time for the business in itself but now that I'm seriously into it now and I don't have a lot of the other pressures now I'm able to focus on the business model and building and creating a a sustainable business Mm. Um, I think the lows have literally been getting rejected to certain store spaces, like in areas like Cape Town. Um, I think Cape Town is very clicky, and that, that was one of the reasons why I left Cape Town is because I felt like, okay, cool. Um, 
I can't be here because this is not where my market is. My market mm. is in Joburg. And moving, making that move to Joburg and just realizing that, you know, this is where Shoshakini was built, but yet I can't see the support coming revenue-wise from this area. I think that was just one of the lows of my my business because mm. I was just, like, so disappointed. Like, wow, you would have exe- expected that it would thrive here, but then it's not. Yeah, it's a coastal area a coastal as well. Area, like, big, big bikinis like, and... Yeah, would be celebrated. Yes, I mean, I had one place, but then that saw this one lady that a boutique that saw the items at design in Daba that was successful and I was able to put them in her store so that at least that I had that opportunity but then in terms of getting into the bigger mm. players I think it's still a little bit challenging in the Cape Town scene um yeah we'll see what happens and, this year. and I know that you're in a number of stores now mm. in Joburg yeah so it's like I, I understand what you mean now because I did or did it happen how I think in my head it would have happened where when you moved to Joburg it was a lot easier to get into these spaces because like you literally I think like I feel like every month or so you're announcing okay now you're at this place like I'm like oh wow okay yeah no I I I really I love Joburg for that Mm. I think it's very very open to new things you know like Joburg people are more open to different business opportunities um i wouldn't have thought i would land up in santon city santon city yes and it's been so amazing being there and um being with 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 designers and and just being here we are literally surrounded by all the big designers in Mm. the world and seeing how they are working like just having that direct contact to them and seeing how they're building their businesses, landing up in like malls and stuff. And I'm just like, what? Okay, so that's possible. And also here the rentals are quite renting like a store space. It's not as expensive as you would think you can in Cape Town. In mm. Cape Town, I mean, renting your own house is a, renting a flat is a, already a problem. Mm. Never mind renting retail property. I mean, that's just insane. So here I found that there were just... There's just so many things that you can do with mm. spaces and people are so open to also teaching you and taking you along. Yeah, mm. You just have to select the right people. Okay, so and while we're in the theme of the lowlights, I like to talk about sort of like, because we see the beautiful, <coughs> sorry, glamorous journey, right? What are some of the mistakes that you've made or like some failures? sort of, that, that have happened to you in your journey? Mm, I wouldn't necessarily say mistakes or type of, like, downloads or something like that, but I think making or starting off, I think for me, on the brand side, launching with too many products, too many colours, all at once, mm, I always think that was a mistake that that was not a mistake but like i think i took on too much yeah i took yeah. on too much too early mm. like by the end of 2017 i was already producing probably five colors and i almost had like more than 10 styles mm. already in the same year launched the men's line the men's range as well so it was just like i think i needed to but but also i was reacting to what the market was reacting mm. to um, but I think if I had given myself enough time to build on that one 
1023 styles in 102 colors for the ladies but my creative self was just like all at once <laughs> so i think that that really drove me into major burnout i was mm. burned out by the end of 2017 i won't lie yeah sure okay um okay so i ask wait before we get to that <laughs> so what are your plans for Let's talk year. about the future, like yeah. with, the, with everything now. I mean, you you got your masters now. You've officially graduated as of last year, and your brand, like you've learned so much. You've moved to Joburg. You had Afropunk. Like mm. there's just a lot. Like it's 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 the trajectory. It's nice that your momentum is not fading. Mm-hmm. That's that's honestly for 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 a black girl to see someone who looks like me, and I'm Tuana, so I can resonate with the stretch print as well. I, I love seeing that. Mm-hmm. So what are your what are your plans? Just for my pizza, what are your plans? Where yeah. are you going? I think this year's plans is very different. Like you said, I'm done with my masters and all of that. Um, I'm kind of jumping into the business a bit more full time right now. Mm. Um, being the cre- creative director and so I'm looking at dominating more store spaces this year. Um, moving Shashikini from mostly primarily online, but looking at more retail spaces like in Durban, Cape Town, um, but still having a base in Joburg. Mm. I think it's really nice that we can be synonymous with with Joburg um, because I feel like here this is where the traffic is and I've seen a lot of international people moving. They normally move from Joburg to Cape Town or vice versa, anywhere else. So I think it's really important that we have a base here Shoshikin will still be made in Cape Town for mm. as long as I can handle that. Um, and then I want to start employing my first few employees this year. Um, I really want to start creating a Shoshikini team, creating job opportunities for Shoshikini. I also want to do international markets. Like you said, we were at Afropunk. Afropunk people were very impressed with Shoshikini. And we oh. also did really well in terms of sales there. And now I w- they were, ac- we were actually chatting to them about the possibility of doing more Afropunks oh um, this year. So <laughs> if so all goes You said well, it so casually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm like freaking out for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm just so excited. Yeah. And we're actually chatting to the organizers of Afropunk. Oh and they were saying, telling me all the places they thought Trisha Kinney would do well in. And I think for them, with Afropunk, it was really funny how I got onto that because I actually applied very late <laughs> and then they <laughs> saw my stuff and they were like oh they were like we've seen Shosha being done in so many different ways before we've never seen you, what you were doing was different yeah. so I, I thought to myself imagine if somebody who understands what Shosha is from all over in the U.S. and can see the beauty of Shosha mm. Kini that that means the brand really does speak for itself again and um, it, it so I think doing more international markets my plan this year is also to showcase at Fashion Week, ah. um, do my debut um, Fashion Week. So that's still in talks and I'm excited about that. I hope it happens. You know, but yeah, we're putting it out there. But yeah, yeah. I want to do like South African Fashion Week. I say Fashion Week maybe because mm. I've worked a lot with them. Um, do my debut there and then from SA Fashion Week go to the other fashion weeks as well so that's what i'm looking forward to but also do like more trade shows internationally because there's like south africa does give funding for you to travel and do Mm. all of those things so i want to like tap into more of those opportunities because i feel like um 
we, we and also Botswana as well. I have a lot of um, market in I there. I can imagine. Botswana people love shishiki. That's what I'm saying. Like I'm Botswana. For me, as a Botswana yeah. girl, I'm like that print, like on a bikini. That's like luxury. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. So mm. also like, the, you know, having shishiki based in some of the countries, like maybe Maseru Mall in Lesotho, mm. looking at Botswana, um, looking at like Kenya. You know, these different big traveling hotspots mm. of Africa, Mauritius, Botswana, and all these other areas. So that's the plan um, for this year. Sure. By the end of the year, that's what I want, would have loved to accomplish. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm not going to... I don't... I mean, I know it's not <laughs> up to me, but I definitely feel like you've got this, hey? Thank you. You've definitely got this. Okay, so this is the question that I feel like makes this podcast... Um, I asked all of, I asked all of my guests this question. If you could go back and talk to your younger self, so to younger Mabito, what would you say to her? What message would you give to your younger self? Sure. I think just thinking about myself when I was a kid. I was very shy and I didn't really have my own voice. Um, I would just tell her to to just know that things will change and to continue believing because I was very I was always a creative I always had these big wild imaginations um I would tell her to trust those imaginations to trust her dreams and to trust herself enough to be bold enough to continue in that Mm. yeah Mm. I don't think when I look at myself I don't think I there's anything I could change about the way I grew up because Every decision that I made from a young age literally drove me into yeah. where I am today. But maybe I would just tell her I, I, I had a lot of like insecurities about myself, about where I came from, moving to South Africa. You know, it, it was a lot. It was a lot of changes in my life. But I would just tell her to be proud of where she's from mm. and to know that, you know, her story will say her story will inspire more people yeah yeah it's definitely inspiring me like i want to i feel like i need to dream bigger now (laughs) (laughs) okay um and how can our listeners get in touch with you your brand um just follow you and keep up with you and shop yeah yeah so um for shoshwakini they can obviously catch us on www.shoshwakini.com um, we also in Santon city mall at the africa rice store um and we also on zando so that's the other place they can shop for mm. shoshwakini and we might also be on take a lot soon well yeah. we also um, exploring with that avenue as well um, for City Girl Diaries or if you want to keep up with me you can just follow me on Instagram City Girl Diaries even Shoshikini at Shoshikini on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook um, and and then my blog is citygirldiaries.com okay thank you so much for sharing your story thank you for having like, me thank you so so much this has been a long time coming and I feel <laughs> like you've honestly exceeded my expectations of what, like you know the girl behind everything <laughs> yes thank oh my you gosh so much. wow thank you so so much thank you pillow you look like megan markle ah oh my gosh <laughs> i mean i'll take it <laughs> thank take you it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we love to engage with all of you, so feel free to pop us an email if you have any feedback or guest recommendations on info at shebrigade.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so don't forget to tag us on your posts at SheBrigade. See you next week.